1: Welcome to the cashflow guys podcast. It's that time again. It's Friday morning. It's 6am. I'm awake. Why aren't you just kidding? I'm probably still in bed myself. Well, actually, you know, usually Fridays mornings at six o'clock, I am up because I'm getting ready for coffee with the cashflow guys. For those of you that have not been on coffee with the cashflow guys, I suggest you get a pen, you write down cashflowguys.com forward slash coffee, just like the drink that most of us drink every morning. If you don't, you scare me. Don't call me. You're a freak. But anyway, Coffee with the Cashflow Guys is a video Q&A where I get on the line with people just like you to help you through the real estate challenges you may have absolutely free of charge. It's done via the Zoom video platform. So if you go to cashflowguys.com forward slash register and register to get on my list, I send out the code every Thursday night. You click on a little link on Friday morning when you're still getting that sleep out of your eyes. And then you bring your real estate related questions to me, or you can just sit back and listen to other people and the questions they have. I try to have a topic every single week. I stress the word try. It's not always, I don't always nail that, but I do my best. So I will cover a different topic every week. We've done a couple so far, and I'm recording them. So they are all available on my website, right behind that big, nasty veil of secrecy that requires you to log in. So we are here. This is going to be a killer episode. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're driving your car and if you're running, you may want to go ahead and push pause because I think this episode is going to pretty much reach about 99% of our audience, especially this guy. Today, we're going to talk about some of the phobias and some of the self-esteem things and the troubles that we have that keep us from being successful These are things that I know that have held me back in the past. And I think you're going to have a lot of good actionable advice from this episode. So if you don't have a pen and paper handy, I would definitely tag this episode as something that you want to come back to and listen again and take notes. The good news is Jonathan henrik he's an author. So at the end of this, you'll be given an opportunity to go get a copy of his book that's been out. And I got to tell you this book only even just the first couple chapters folks is a game changer. This one is a game changer. Now, those of you that have listened to this show for more than one episode, know that I am right to the point. I don't promote anything. I don't believe in. You will never hear a promotion about any topic or anything that I don't believe in. Never will you have a product presented to you that is not a hundred percent spot on and packed with value. This book is no different. This is a book that you're going to need to get out there. Take some action. Like we talk about, and make it so. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Jonathan Henrik. Jonathan, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: And today, you know, he's actually in studio with me, so we're actually staring at each other today, which is uh, not something we do all the time. I think we've had Larry Harbolton here, and we've had uh, Kevin Overstreet from Insured Title in the studio, but normally we're doing things over the phone, so it's a little different. That's cool. He's in uh, Cashflow Fort, as we call it, right?
2: Yeah, this place is awesome.
1: So uh, we're going to talk today about social phobia, something that, you know, these things cause self-esteem issues. And can you kind of just give us a brief introduction about how you came to write this book? What was the quick and dirty of why? What's what's your why behind this book? Where did this come from?
2: Yeah, the the quick and dirty version of it is basically I'd struggled with depression and anxiety my my whole life, ever since I could remember as a kid. And it affected the quality of my life um, up until maybe I was about, 26 is when everything started to change for me. So I knew that something was wrong. And the idea behind it was I always wanted to help people. I believe that I had been given these obstacles to overcome them so that I could share a story one day. And I had been blessed with the most wonderful teachers and mentors. And I got help that I knew other people didn't always get. So I wanted to provide that help to people to see if I could give them a shortcut to eliminate all of this pain and these frustrations and things and maybe live a, a better life.
1: That's so. pretty awesome. Now I'm going to tell people how we met and it's kind of, it, it ties in perfectly to this episode it, it, a couple of years back. Well, well not long ago, it was probably 2014. I had just come back from sea and it had been a while since I've been out of the real estate game for a while. And sometimes it, the real estate industry is a little fickle and it, you know, I didn't, I didn't make a huge spectacle of myself, so to speak, the first time I was in real estate investing. So I wasn't very well known in my own market. Something I've talked about on previous episodes, but I bumped into Jonathan over at Peter Fortunato's event. I don't you remember that it was the note course in Tampa. And here's this guy all well-dressed, right? He's hanging out with legends like Pete Fortunato, Larry Harbolt. I'm like, Oh God, you know, I'm not worthy to even talk to this guy. And he's up coming up talking to me because he's some big deal, right? Because you're hanging out with these legendary real estate investors, these guys that are teaching the classes about all these advanced strategies that were kind of mind-blowing and amazing how that's... And now we're, we're sitting here going through this. We've gotten to know each other since then, but it's just interesting how it's so different now. The dynamic is so different that you were actually going through these struggles even at that time and you were coming out of it then you were positioned with the right people. And how did you get the, I guess, the guts to even align yourself with these people. I just thought maybe you were their nephew or something at first. (laughs) That's (laughs) funny. People would
2: always ask me if I was uh, Wayne's son at the meetings. But I had experienced some tragedy and some uh, major obstacles in my life, and I had recognized that I wanted to make a change. And I had met Larry, and I just kind of hung around him. We went out to lunch together at one of his seminars and, you know, everybody would go out to lunch together and I was watching him talk and I thought, you know, this guy has what I want. He talks about financial freedom, real estate and all this stuff and I just hung around and, and I was thinking about that question a lot, I think, about it and people like to help people. Yeah, I do. So really, I didn't have any courage or anything. I just asked for help. And once I saw that Larry was a person that I wanted to get information from and that I would like to associate myself with, I just asked for his help and I kept following him around. And he presented a, a his boot camp and then his uh, mentoring program. So I got involved with his coaching program. And throughout our relationship, that was when I, um, you know, my mom had passed away and I had a, a brain tumor and all that stuff. And Larry was there for me, so we really became friends. And then I kind of just took everything that he said as gospel, you know, and I moved from Philadelphia to Florida and started my whole life over.
1: That's pretty awesome. I agree with you hundred percent the information we get from training with people like Larry Harbold Wayne Arnold, uh, Peter Fortunato, Jeez, I could go on and on, yeah. but we, I, we're pretty lucky here in Tampa Bay. We've got the number one, the, some of the most ethical number one, most importantly, but, but, uh, secondly, the most, uh, legendary real estate investors I'll say that are really teaching the information that people need to hear. Mm-hmm. So, and of course we met at one of those very seminars at, at, Peter Fortunato's paper course, which you really want to melt your brain folks. There's a course for you. I don't know how many times have you taken that thing now, Jonathan? <laughs>
2: paper course, probably about three or four.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm on two myself. I still don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah not that's smart. great, man. <laughs> that's for sure. Now you went on to write this book here and you're the author of the uh, secret recipe for a happy life. And I got to tell you, it, I got into like, just, I don't think I was even finished the first chapter and I was like, geez, about half of this applies to me right away before I even got through the first chapter. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to read the books completely before I do an episode and I didn't feel like I really needed to with this episode. It was, there's so much to cover. I don't even think we're going to knock it all out in one episode to be perfectly honest with you. I think I'm going to have to have you back for a second dose of this so we can get this up in pieces, but it, it, let's talk about some of the, you, you talked in the book about um, social phobia and self-esteem issues. And, and for me, that was a big thing that I had a hang up with it was imposter syndrome is that, I, and, and I've my audience has heard this before that I didn't necessarily feel that I had enough information to position myself in the marketplace as a teacher, so to speak, which, you know, a lot of the listeners are going, have you lost your mind, Tyler? But, and I appreciate you thinking that, but I went through that struggle myself, and I know this was big for you. Now, you started out, you were essentially a rock star, <laughs> drummer.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um, I traveled the world as a professional rock drummer. So that was a dream come true for me, and that was awesome.
1: So how did that relate? I mean, you've got, you're on stage, people are screaming, women are throwing their clothes at you probably, God only knows. You're obviously well-known, by everybody how do you and I always wanted this about the celebrity, how do you how does that turn into I'm not good enough when you're already there on stage? Not to downplay the whole thing, but it's it's kinda of mind blowing because when I ask that question, I'm saying the same thing to myself. Here I'm able to sit there and take unsolicited questions for hours on end and know all of the answers and change people's lives with the answers, but yet I still went through a period, a long period, where I didn't feel I was worthy. And for you, how did that how did you get to the point where you started identifying that? Because for some people, it's just a lifestyle. and They just never change. They never get past that.
2: Yeah. You know, when I was playing drums, I, I always wanted to be the best. And I sacrificed a lot of time and energy. I was always practicing because I just wanted to be the best. And then as I got professional gigs and I was touring, I had these belief systems that interrupted my peace and happiness. And in the book, I tell a story about, we were at this show in London, it was Halloween, and uh, the place was sold out. There was a line around the corner. It was the last show at this, it was called the Astoria, I think, in London. It was the last show that was ever going to be held at this building before they knocked it down. Right. And we're all up in the dressing room, and I'm warming up on my practice pad, and, you know, the the guys are all kind of hanging out in the dressing room, and... And the crowd was so loud that, that you couldn't even hear. I couldn't hear the intro music, and you could hear them from the dressing room. And, and I remember thinking to myself that I can't wait for something else. I can't wait for a bigger gig. You know, wow. It's not time to relax yet. Just keep practicing, keep warming up. You know, Everything has to be perfect. And um, that was kind of the highlight of my career because I went out, the lights turned on. The crowd was screaming. The stage was huge. And, and I thought to myself when I was playing, I said, wow, this is it. This is right. what I was trying to do my I, whole life. I've and, arrived. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we went to Japan and Australia. And uh, my career kind of just faded away because I had lost interest. And it I lost interest because I thought I wasn't good enough. You know, so when my bandmates would talk about other drummers and stuff like that, I would think, oh, they would rather have a different drummer than me. Than you, right? Yeah. And... Once I had experienced that pain, I find that, you know, you can't really experience this pain until something's gone. Um, that was when I started to ask myself, what the hell was I doing? Right. Know, Why didn't I enjoy that journey? My mentor would always tell me, say, just enjoy the journey. Just, you know, it's not about the shows. It's just about the journey. And I didn't get that until it was over. Right. So
1: huh? So you, you're up there on stage, you, you identify that you have the issue you also talked about early on in the book about triggers. There were certain things that you identified that would trigger a certain behavior or at least a certain interpretation of something that went on. And I liken this to I'm the people that I work with where I provide mentorship and whatnot, our mentoring club, they, they feel a need, they want to negotiate uh, an opportunity on real estate through a text message. Well, I sent the seller a text message with my offer. What do you lose your mind? Do you don't text message offers? You're supposed to build relationships, you know, build rapport explain the offer. You can't do that in a text message. So what type of triggers uh, did you identify that were, and wh- and how did you, where did they come from? What's kind of the, the background there behind these triggers? And I think that's number one, that's pretty mature to be able to identify that's even that a trigger is something that's causing it. Cause most people don't get that. And it's impressive that you did. So can we talk a little bit about the triggers and, and how that affected you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, triggers I found kind of came into play, once I met a couple people that taught me about mental health. So um, the music game was kind of just this blind path for me. I knew I was trying to reach significance and I would play and try to be popular and prove myself that I was worthy of something. And then once um, all of that kind of went away, then I would hang on to that those moments, almost, I would tell my friends like, Hey, remember that time I played that show? And they're like, yeah, dude, that was 10 years ago. Like (laughs) what's next?
1: Need a new story, man.
2: (laughs) So that, you know, I started to get into real estate during my music career and I found the same obstacles. And what was interesting was when I was a musician, I, I became so confident or maybe overconfident, confident in myself that I could just play. I would knew I would nail any audition, um, because I had put in so much time and effort but when it came to relationships with people, that was my biggest struggle. And that was one of the reasons I played drums. And I, I always wanted to sing, but I didn't like being up front. I didn't like people hearing uh, my okay. voice. That makes sense. Yeah. So I was hiding behind you know, yeah. the drum set. You're
1: on your own as a drummer. You, mm-hmm. You're just, yeah, you're keeping the beat, so to speak.
2: Yeah. So when it came to my relationships with people, that was when basically somebody turned the pain up big time. So as you would know, just like you said, you want to get terms on a great deal you've got a negotiation with a seller, um, a situation like that for me just cranked up the pain. So I would often resort to email, text message, or just avoid the entire situation. And I talk about, uh, in my book, the sour grape story, I would say, "Ah, it probably wasn't a good deal anyway.
1: Right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh geez, I've, that's me. I've done that. Yeah.
2: So I could never face myself to, um, to confront myself that was really what it was i right. could never confront myself so i would find all these excuses and literally make up identities you know we we're talking about your mind will create a whole story of i don't have enough information i don't have this now i have this syndrome and what's well, my depression what's well, my anxiety you know and that stuff is really what uh stops you from being happy now to get right to the point what i learned was that a, a trigger can be anything and so a trigger for anxiety, let's say you're, you know, it's, you're a caveman and you hear rustling around in the, in the bushes and you think, oh my God, that's probably a saber tooth tiger right. about to come mommy." me. Right. So your amygdala kicks in, which basically is your uh, fight or flight mode. Right. And you, your body thinks it has to protect itself.
1: Or run like hell. <laughs>
2: yeah. So that's basically what happens with fear. Fear is just a, you know, it's a, a response from your amygdala and your brain that sends out adrenaline and things like that. So when a, a seller would call me, I knew I would have to go into a situation like this. I would present it to myself as, oh, this is, this is fear. <clears throat> and I would listen to the feelings in my body as an indicator. So just like if a saber tooth tiger was in the bush, the same feeling that my body would have would be the same feeling that you have to go talk to a seller. Mm, okay. And unfortunately, our bodies have not evolved past that, right. you know, so and this is pretty common knowledge. If you read a lot of books on on fear and neuroscience and stuff like that, um, and just being able to sit with that feeling in your body, that's how you can get over that. So I've in the past year or two got over that fear, which even when I was hanging out with Wayne and Pete and stuff, I was afraid I couldn't make an offer.
1: That to um, me is mind blowing. You're surrounded by some of the greatest minds in real estate. Yeah. And <laughs> that the, truly have all the answers.
2: And that even added to my my stress and what's wrong with me? You know, why can't I do this? I'm around these great guys and I would hang out with Wayne and Wayne would do all the, the offers, you know, I'd watch Wayne and I would make offers, but right. I'd be a nervous wreck and I would avoid situations hmm. to where I would have to make an offer. Um so that's a, that's a lot of information. I'm kind of rambling on all of that, but the idea is that You know, it's normal to have those feelings. Right. And anyone that's texting, that's a good indicator. If if you have that fear, that's a good indicator of to pick up the phone. You know, the the first deal I made with Wayne, he said, just go pick up the phone, would you? Because I was making all these excuses. (laughs) I picked up the phone, sold a house and made my, my months, paid my months bills.
1: So Um, you're essentially saying you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
2: Absolutely. And you have to recognize those triggers you know the, the sound of a saber tooth r- rustling around in the bush, or the sound of your phone ringing because you just sent out a you know a marketing campaign. Right. Recognize that those aren't real. That your mind is just. I mean, the saber tooth thing may be real back in the day. Right. But you have to recognize that yeah your your mind is distorting these these uh, experiences to to give your body that experience.
1: To me, this sounds exactly like the the smell of a cigarette from an ex smoker. Like I used to smoke and I went through a period where when I smelled a cigarette, I wanted one mm-hmm. after I quit smoking. I was like, man, that smells good. But then when I realized I had found a, some clothes of mine that were in a prop, in a house that I'd lived in, in a closet where I had smoked inside and they were in a plastic bag for many years. And I opened the plastic bag and smelled the, the smell of smoke and they were clean clothes, but I didn't realize that I smelled of smoke because I'm a clean freak. I, I like everything clean, neat, and organized. My house, we have a cleaning lady comes by every week, and then my wife and I still clean besides that. Weird, we don't like weird smells or anything like that. So I basically readjusted my trigger. I interpreted initially that the smell of a cigarette was a good thing, so I wanted it. And I would physically, like you said, I would physically feel it. I would feel like, oh, man, I get the shakes, like I want a cigarette. And now when I smell a cigarette, I want to puke. I can't stand it. I had somebody get in my truck the other day that smokes, and I almost made him sit out in the back of the truck. It's like, ugh, I can't stand the smell of it. So I've effectively been able to change my trigger based on how I interpret the end result. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what you're talking about right there.
2: Yeah, and and I don't... um, Obviously, I'd want to promote um, anything that could help anyone, and and I just picked up a book. I don't know if I can mention his name, but uh, Tony Robbins, Awakening the Giant.
1: Oh, yeah, I've read that.
2: I mean, that... To me, I was reading just the first part of it, and, and when he talks about when you associate a uh, pain and pleasure that 's basically it what, you know you we associate pain negotiating with a seller is is uh, more associated the pain than it is to pleasure for you you think, oh my God, and that's why your body's reacting it's it's in your brain associating that pain right so that when I read that, I was like, wow, that's huge that's such a succinct way to put all of this right you know it's just like you said with the smoking you you associated pleasure with cigarettes. Now you associate pain with cigarettes. And it's like that simple. It just took a lot of hard work to recondition your brain. Oh, yeah. To create for, those new uh, neural pathways.
1: It, it was a game changer, I'll tell you. Because I was a little worried about, like, if I have to go through this for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. every time I smell a cigarette, I want one. Oh, no thank you. So you had talked about in the book about, you know, focusing on really what matters and more importantly getting into the reconditioning phase, which is really what we were just talking about the reconditioning being based on reality, not necessarily what you think other people might be thinking. Can we touch on that just a little bit about, you know, the, the comparing or the rating syndrome?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, um, you know, the best stories I have for that is in my dating life. Right. Um, I had just gotten off medication. I had those were antidepressants, and I come down to Florida and I was trying to live this better life. And, you know, I realized that I wanted to start dating. I had shut myself out forever when I was divorced. And so I would go out and, um, you know, I I was, I would go up to talk to a girl and it would feel like I got frozen. And then I realized it was happening when I would talk to people and then let alone talk to a seller ever. And it, it developed this really bad pattern of just locking myself in the house, which, um, I think it's called agoraphobia. I didn't have really bad agoraphobia, but right. I developed this pattern of where I literally could not get within uh you know a foot of people without cringing
1: to some degree is could you maybe add on a little bit of fear of success? I know people that have had that I've had that. I went through that phase where you're afraid of like well, how if I talk to this person, they may actually agree, and then I'll have to perform
2: yeah, that is exactly it. Yeah. My
1: first inv- when I raised my first bit of capital, I was in an absolute panic attack. It was like these people that gave invested their money with me, I actually have to do this right. I can't, this is not my money. I've got to be extra smart and responsible and I got to grow up now.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, uh, it was, uh, definitely a challenge. Now we talk about, you know, why we make the choices that we do and it comes back to the interpretation and, and in real estate, as you know, John is that Jonathan is that the, um, a lot of times people spend, and this is what I find, they spend a lot of time figuring on, trying to decide what people will do without asking them. In other words, I don't think the seller will take this offer, so I'm not going to write it in the first place. Or they raise the price of the offer because they feel that they want to make it as painless for them as possible. They don't want the seller to lash back out again. Now you've lived, with, you know, been hanging around with some pretty legendary dudes that, that write some pretty creative offers that some of them I don't even understand what the heck they're talking about, but yeah I hear you. <laughs> but they still get done, they still acquire a lot of assets, so they're stepping outside of the box they're obviously i I can't believe that they're they they still must have some discomfort at some point and I, and I don't want to go too much into what they're thinking because they're not here. we don't want to assume, but you you just have to get to that point to where you're going to write the offer anyway. Is that correct that you're conditioned. Based on what I learned in the book, to feel that if you do this task, write this offer, the seller may have this response. In the end, you kind of box that. I know you've experienced that, but your your way of getting getting through that is first identifying it. So you're kind of looking inward a lot.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: And then you're taking that inward and using that to kind of reprogram your triggers, so to speak. So. Now when you have that fear, and I remember reading that, I think that was in Chapter 3, when you experience that, I'm going to throw up in my shoes feeling when it comes time to write an offer basically goes to show you that it's time to write the offer.
2: Yeah, definitely. And what um, puts so much pressure on you is, you know, if you were to practice um, present moment awareness, you know, of like what's really going on, and you're just talking to a person, Right. They're no better than you or any less than you. You guys are just two human beings talking to each other. But we put all of these stories on the result of that experience. So an example is, you know, I would meet with, with uh, a seller, one of my first deals. And we, we didn't talk about the deal forever. I think he was the same way. That's why we actually made a deal because we were exactly the same. And right. his wife was the one that said, are you guys going to talk about business? Because we were talking about music for like two hours, you know? <laughs> But, um, the result of that deal was I had spent thousands of dollars in marketing. I had just got out of my recovering from my brain tumor. you know, what did my friends think of me? I'm not a musician anymore. What did my wife think of me? You know I'm right. such a loser It's like I could go on and on, right and that was the pressure I put on my success of that deal. so you're a, a sales guy, you know that it's a numbers game.
1: yeah absolutely
2: and and that's what it comes down to is, is when you're craving something like that. And, and it it goes so deep. You have to like, really, this stuff's all surfacey, but sure. you, you really go deep within yourself and you find that, you know, why does that matter? Why does you, why does a girl saying yes to a day with me matter so much to me that I would be a nervous wreck to ask her.
1: Right. Why is it so monumental that it's making me physically ill? <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and that's the question you have to ask yourself. So a lot of it for me was, you know, conditioning would come up from my parents, my dad, I'm thinking, well, what if I get this offer? My dad's going to think I'm a crook, you know, and, and you just, you come up with all these stories and that's basically what it comes down to. So you have to ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? And what are these stories that are presenting themselves to interfere with this experience? Um, why do you have to perform?
1: basically? Right. And for you, just to so the listeners understand, you had said before we got on the show mm-hmm. about your dad had identified real estate investors with people being kind of like shmarmy or, or con artist type of yeah. thing. And, To some degree, I I grew up with that as well. My mother has been a real estate broker for 40 years, I think. Now it's kind of crazy. And um, she identified investors differently than she did the average person. They were in a different place. So I I had interpreted that to mean a negative. So I resisted the whole investing thing for many, many years because I grew up with that same with you. You're like, well, if I do this deal, my dad's going to think I'm a scam artist. So I'm going to do everything I can not to do this deal, even though I know I need to do this deal because I don't know, I got to eat. (laughs) And then, you know, and you know full well that the deal is what's best for the seller. I mean, that's everything, the, the core of everything that you've been taught, because I have the same mentors as you. Essentially, these guys, this is what they teach is to listen to the seller and write offers that make sense to solve the problem. And and write it that very way because if you've solved their problem and the deal makes sense for you, it's a win win. Yeah. But instead we're so caught up in well, they're they're gonna say no and mom or dad are gonna think I'm a scam artist even if they did say yes. So I'm just not even gonna get out of bed today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you wind exactly. up broke in the same process.
2: Yeah. And that's where all those belief systems come in and basically what all of that comes down to is I'm not worthy of this. Right. You know, I'm not worthy of of accomplishing these things in my life. I just need to stay in my box and, you know,
1: my safe place, so to speak, yeah,
2: and just follow orders.
1: Now, for you, you're one of the few people in your age group in your in your 30s now, and that's not in this huge race to acquire, I don't know, Lear Jets and high rises. I see a lot of the, and nothing wrong with Grant Cardone. I'm a I'm a huge fan of Grant Grant Cardone. I love what he what he says, and he's putting a lot of good educational material out there and whatnot. But he kind of preaches the pimp lifestyle and the, the fancy cars and the Lamborghinis. And there's all these Facebook groups out there that are pitching this crap. It's like, you got to get rich. You got to have the $300 baseball hat and the $7,000 sneakers and the, the Ferrari and the, or the Audi or whatever. And at the end of the day, you're, you you have a different take on that. I want to, I want to touch on that for a bit.
2: Yeah. Um, I used to be that way. I used to have a vision board and this is, you know, back to that pain. Pain is good because pain is kind of an indicator for you. So, I have experienced a huge amount of pain in the past couple years, and and that was why I came off antidepressants. Right. Because in order to feel, in order to change, I had to feel that pain where the medication just numbed it. But I had a vision board with vision board with uh, Ferraris, you know, and all this money and like, you know, c- cliche. 20 year old trying to right. who's unhappy with himself trying to get all of this stuff all this material stuff to make himself happy so <clears throat> during that pursuit this i recognized that okay this isn't working you know i can't even pay my bills right. why am i worried about getting a ferrari <laughs> right so and that pain set in and, and i just started to question everything and then i met a guy named um, michael his name is michael gregory and he's a, a dharma teacher which Dharma is basically Buddhism. Okay, and he was a investment banker who went to be a monk, and then he is just the most wonderful teacher I've ever known. And the teachings that he would have, and he, he went from having more money than anybody and driving Lamborghinis, and to to this new lifestyle, right? You know, so it was really coming from him. I was like, wow, this guy isn't just talking; this guy has experienced it. And he, I did a lot of counseling with him. And he really helped me let go of all of that to recognize that I needed, I wanted all these things because I was unhappy with myself. Right. You know, I wanted a Ferrari because I thought it would make people like me. Sure. Basically. Oh yeah. I've been there. Trust me. Yeah. I think everybody, that's the point of marketing is they're like, Hey, look how happy you're going to be once you get this Audi. And you're like, I think I need an Audi. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I need two. Yeah.
2: But (laughs) what really changed everything was I went on a retreat Michael has a retreat center and uh, that was a 10 day silent retreat with no electronics. And you meditate on what's called a Visapana. And I'm not a, a Buddhist teacher or anything like that. And I highly recommend people look into that philosophy because it's more of a, a science than it is, you know, any kind of religion whatsoever. Right. But sitting for eight to 10 hours a day, meditating and just eating three small meals a day and not doing anything except reflecting. Right. You know, it just, clears your mind and you recognize that all of this stuff is just made up in your head and you really don't need anything to be happy you just need to be to accept yourself
1: wait a minute you don't get facebook breaks or something <laughs> no, no, yeah. no twitter feed or no. nothing do they have it up on a screen maybe yeah. you can just watch your facebook profile and because we got to know what donald trump did or what hillary's done you know right. of course we got to make sure we cover all that because that's breaking news yeah uh the moron of the week whichever one they decide to come up with that's pretty interesting. Now, yeah, I, when you said that, I'm trying to imagine, I'm like, I, I, I can't imagine a place like that. But then again, that's why I love my kayak so much. It's like, I want yeah. my kayak. and I take a book because I can lock my phone in the watertight compartment. And I can't hear it ring, which is a beautiful thing. Or sometimes I paddle far enough away to where it won't ring even if I wanted to. But, um, you talk about building in stages and, you know, focusing on the quality versus the quantity. Now, what's interesting is that we, we, we all, you know, we, we go through this phase in our life and I don't really remember that phase for me. I mean, I've, I went through it shortly right after I got back the second act in real estate. You know, I wanted to have 10,000 doors because I thought that was cool. And then I realized the work behind the 10,000 doors and I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Now we've done quite well, but I wasn't proud of what we had accomplished, which didn't make sense. I mean, my wife was like, what have you, what do you mean you haven't accomplished enough? I mean, hello. We've done quite well. We don't have to work anymore. We've escaped the rat race. That's all fine and dandy. And and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to to say that to illustrate that that wasn't enough for me. I thought I needed more. I mentor people that still they they have their Facebook profile has a Audi or a Ferrari or a you know the the nine hundred dollar hoodie and they can barely pay their rent Uh, and they take the bus to school and it's like what are you doing? People are off guard. Now you talk about building in stages. You're building to a point to, that's comfortable. You, your goal is to get to that out of the rat race. But what you're essentially saying is, you don't. You, with more result and I'm not discouraging people from taking result. I don't think you are either by saying this, but with more result comes more responsibility. There's a break even point to where you're like, okay, now I'm pretty much done if you don't identify that this is my and correct me if I'm wrong that you're going to have that feeling of of uh not of inadequacy forever that's unfounded essentially well in this case it would be founded because you've created this false reality on the backside.
2: yeah no that is so well said definitely I mean it, it will never end if you don't if you don't address the real issue right you know an, an example of that is when I had first met Larry, this is before my brain tumor, I found my goal sheet actually not too long ago, and it was like, you know, in my first year, I'm going to have a 300-unit apartment building, three single-family houses, I'm going to do 10 wholesale deals, you know, it was this big, long list, and I was like, th- then the brain tumor happened, and it's, it's about setting realistic goals and then planning for unexpected obstacles, right? you know, so for me to put everything into this one goal sheet of real estate, that this is going to make me happy. If I get, if I'm a billionaire from real estate, that's gonna make me happy. You know, just like if I'm a rock star and uh, travel in the world, that's gonna make me happy. If I'm dating a supermodel, that's gonna make me happy. And none of that stuff makes you happy. And that's where everyone is just running, not everyone, but people who, who are looking for this huge payoff, I find, are just generally running from themselves. And that's been my experience. Because once I confronted, remember I was telling you about all those fears and those mm-hmm. anxieties. Once I was able to public uh, speak in front of people, right. you know, and ask a girl out on a date and basically manage my emotions, all of that stuff disappeared. I no longer wanted any of it. And that's what's important is... When you focus on the the important things like values, like friendship and family and helping others and things like that, all of that stuff becomes unimportant to you, you know?
1: So for you, and that's a great, and I want to tie back to a lot of what I know that you've been taught because I know the people that have taught you as far as the how this ties back to real estate is, the Wayne Arnolds the Pete Fortunato's the Larry Harbolts of the world what they teach and what makes what they teach so powerful is in every circumstance it gives back mm-hmm. to the community and it's not fueled by uh greed or aggression it's it's because this is what's best for the situation at hand and here are the options that are best going to solve this particular problem whatever it may be and now you've identified with that and, and, of course, use that as a way to build your portfolio. At the same time, you're solving problems as you go on. But um, that's pretty powerful now. And and you tell me, and I've said this before, but sometimes people don't believe me. They they, they hear better from somebody else. You go to RIA meetings and you have over the years and you've, you're have you a good student of people and you watch people. It's been my observation, and I've been to RIA meetings all over the country, that the majority, and I would say 98% of people at the RIA meetings, they probably have less money and far less assets than you do, listeners. And that's the reality of things. And and we tend to think that just because they're at a RIA meeting that they're some sort of gazillionaire. And, and could, would you agree with that logic?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had um, experienced that. We had mentioned earlier that I was hanging out with. Pete and uh, Wayne, and we actually did a, a class together. Right, And everybody thought, I remember people would say to me, you know, wow, you must have so much money. And What was ironic <laughs> was when I was on tour, the kids would come up to me, we'd be hanging out by the bus, and, and one kid came up to me and said, wow, you must have so much money. Right. And that became like a theme. People would, would see me as this, you know, you're associating with these people, you must have all this sure. money. And what I learned from Michael was that, you know, none of that, matters you don't you are perfect exactly the way you are and once you recognize that then everything will fall into place right so once you recognize that it's okay to be a student it's okay to to learn new things it's okay to not have money it's okay to you know ask questions and make mistakes and and just be a student of life exactly then then you have the proper foundation but it's people who think that they're chasing things out there that make them happy. So, like, people at RIAs, they're like, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, this are driving nice cars and stuff like that. that, that um, they'll learn. That's oh, absolutely. What it is. It's like a house of cards and it'll blow down. And nothing wrong with, that's their, their process in life to learn. But for anyone who goes to a RIA and thinks that, oh, I need to be like these people, anyone who's listening, make sure that, pay attention to that thought process because it's not real. You know, there's no one that's better or any less than you. There's just these lessons that people teach. And uh, the lessons present themselves in, in different kinds of ways. And that's what I've learned. And then the people show up, like Pete right. and Wayne and Larry. And if that resonates with you, that's usually what makes sense to do. It's what I have found.
1: And those things, in essence, are a trigger. Yeah. They become a big trigger and can throw you off your game. And, and I even went through a period of that. It's like going to the re-meetings my first act in real estate, I never went to RIA meetings. I didn't know of any, there was no internet back then. I know some of you are probably like, I can't imagine a time with no internet. And yes, I am actually that old, but there was a time (laughs) that there was no internet and I didn't realize that RIA meetings were a thing, so to speak. And now I go to them and I, I'm, I'm a big student of of people. I love to watch people and see how they react. And you could sell some people show up and they're all cocky and, and you know, all about town and, the other people are scared to death and they're sitting in the corner and you ask them, you know, the topic of conversation, it's it's funny. They say, how many deals have you done? What does that matter? (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I got into apartments, people are like, told me, you didn't, you don't have enough experience to be in apartments. So how much experience do I need? Mm. And they would say, well, you should at least be doing it for a couple of years. Okay. So how do I do the first one if I've never done any and I don't have any? So how do I get to the first one? Is there a certification course it takes to be you now you can be an apartment building owner. So I finally got tired of hearing all that and after every broker in town would you know laugh at my offers and throw them back in my face because I didn't have the experience, I didn't have the schedule of real estate owned, I decided that's when I learned how to leverage other people's experience into my deals. And uh that worked out quite well for me. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it was still very annoying to have what I thought were very good deals turned away by brokers. I never got to the owner because the owner maybe would have looked at it a little differently, but they prejudged the situation based on the fact that at the time I didn't have any experience. Yeah. Now fast forward. Now they see me and they're like, I got brokers calling me, begging me to look at their deals. Even in a seller's market, Oh, Tyler would really like to have your team come in and this deal would be perfect for your team. It's like, really? You don't even know my team. You don't know anything about my, I've never done business with you. You just listen to my show. Let's say, and they're probably listening to right now going, what a jerk, but you know, life's a bitch. But, uh, I can say that cause it's my show, but they just assume they make all these assumptions. They don't ever go and ask. So they also suffer from these exact same things instead of pick up the phone and saying, Tyler, what type of investment works best for your investors and your criteria? People just assume, which is probably the source of 50% of my email. Jonathan, I know you've got your book out now, but you've also got a workbook. Before we wrap up, I just want to, you've you've got the workbook as well. Both of these are available on Amazon, but more importantly, I want people to go to your website. So what I did for you today is uh, we created a a pretty link that goes directly to your website. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to cashflowguys.com forward slash happy life, happy life, H-A-P-P-Y-L-I-F-E. If you can't spell it, you can't experience it. So, guys, Jonathan, this is this is awesome. I think we're going to have to have you back on again because I know with your book, because I, this has happened to me already, it's the type of book, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to read this. You're going to do a lot of inward thought. I know you. I can imagine with the epiphanies, Jonathan, you must have come up with writing the book.
2: Yeah, you know, I've, I took a couple of seminars after I wrote the book on different ways to write a book, and a lot of people sometimes write as a healing process, right that's kind of what this book was, was it was a healing process and and a way to help people and to uh, acknowledge the people that have helped me. But I I have been taught by people and and my friends and families. And I mean, that's what this book is. It's a collection of lessons that I have been fortunate enough to experience and be able to put in a book to share with other people.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming out this week. And like I said, we'll have you back on the show here again, uh, coming soon. Once I know that some of my listeners have have picked up the book and and read it and you have questions. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, cashflowguys.com forward slash happy life. I will put that in the show notes for you to be able to reach out to him directly through via his website. And if you like what you heard on the show and you want to know more and you want to make contact with Jonathan, you can do that via his website. And ladies, that's gonna, and ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We're going to call it a day. We're going to see you back here. Same place, same time next week. One more reminder, if you have not joined our Facebook group, you should consider it because there's lots of good information being passed out absolutely free of charge in our Facebook group. A lot of the guests in our show are on the Facebook group. I'm going to invite Jonathan to the Facebook group. Besides being an author about uh, self-help books, he's also a real estate investor has lots of experience and hangs out with the right people to get the answers that he needs and probably get you the answers that you need. You will be able to reach out to him through the Facebook group as well. If he's on there, you can go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group. That is a link that takes you directly over to our private Facebook group. That is a private group members only. Here's the thing. I, I personally approve every single person that, that applies to be there that I want there. That said, if your Facebook profile does not have a picture. I won't approve it. If you have a member of 7,000 groups, I won't approve it. It is not a place for marketing gimmicks and multi-level and all this other good stuff. It is a place for people to come learn about real estate and taking massive action to achieve passive income so they can get out of the rat race. So cashflowguys.com forward slash group. We will see you over there. And I appreciate you guys taking the time this week to come out and spend with us. We hope you got lots of value from this. And uh, Jonathan, we'll look forward to seeing you again.
2: Thank you.
0: This concludes today's episode. episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.